And that is not what preaching, what Christianity is all about at all. Preaching is is to bestow faith. Okay, so what if these people listening to John MacArthur actually start obeying, uh, being obedient and becoming better better people, obeying all the rules? That doesn't help them at all. Uh, but rather, if, if they have faith, for by faith we are saved, and not by our works. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and his promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Tackling theology one cheesy game at a time. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline, and here with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Hey, hey. Well, we, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you know, there's there's a, a, a few games on Table Talk Radio that we play uh, pretty rarely, and that is because of show prep. Um, I just don't want to take the time to do some show prep, but uh, today is, is, is one of those days. We're playing Biggest Loser, uh, yeah. a, a game where we uh, listen to some sermons and, and cut out the fat of the sermon. And the reason it takes long is you have to listen to two really long sermons. And then do all the editing to cut it all out. So, but I, I did it for today. And uh, do you want to know who the challengers are for for this week's edition? I would of, love to. Okay. I'd love to. This week for biggest loser table talk radio style is Billy Graham. Oh no! Versus John MacArthur. Whoa! <laughs> wow! So uh, we had a, we had a um, a post in our forum uh, just recently, and he. This person said that he loves our show, but we should remember it's not a competition and no wagering. Um, but I, man, I kind of wanted to see if you want to take a wager on this on this competition. Okay, I'll, I'll put some table talk radio <laughs> points on the line. Well, let's save uh, that. So let's let's save it. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll do that later. Uh, but before that, we're gonna play. Did we decide on a title for this this game? Uh, name that church body. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the answer is we didn't decide on it. But th- this this first game is where we, uh, we, you know, we have a game, Name That Theologian, where we have three quotations from a particular theologian, and then you have to guess who, who said it. Uh, so we've, d- we've done that, except for instead of playing with quotations from theologians, we're now playing with quotations from uh, church statements of faith. So you've got to name that church body based on their uh, confession of faith. Right. So that's what we're doing first before we do Biggest Loser. But before that... We have to do our theological buzzwords, uh, and this is where we give each other some some words savvy to theological discussion, and we have to fit them into the conversation at some point during the show. Okay, uh, I'll give you my theological buzz phrase first. I hope I get this right. That is "sensus literalis unis est." Oh, nice! Which is the uh, intended <laughs> sense is the one. Uh, in other words, the, when we're reading Holy Scripture, uh, a word um, has one intended meaning um, for th- for what, what it was intended, and that is the meaning of the text. So uh, not multiple uh, meanings of interpretation of Scripture. Census literalis. All right. Nice. My, uh, mine for you, I can't remember if we've done this buzzword before. I don't think you got it, though. So my buzzword <laughs> for you is 
propitiation. We'll just recycle right. the ones I didn't get in. <laughs> That's right. So this is – I'd really like you to talk about this. <laughs> this is the idea, though, that Jesus is – he's a propitiation for our sins. He is the sufficient sacrifice. His bloodshed satisfies the anger and wrath of God so that the wrath of God is propitiated, is pleased, is satisfied, is fulfilled. So Christ is our propitiation. That word uh, comes up in, in uh, the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, First uh, John as well. Uh, that Jesus is the propitiation. So that's yours. And I have a question. If if one of the preachers that I selected uses that word, does that count as my theological buzzword? Sure. Oh, I might not have to worry about it, but I was just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, why don't you go first then on this game, name that church confession. Okay. I have some uh, reading for you under the theme of the Lord's Supper. Ooh. Of the Lord's Supper, the Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves to one another, but rather it is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, insomuch that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith receive the same, the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ, and likewise the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Now That's you get, your first quotation. Okay, you're going to give me three, right? Yep. Yeah, okay, right. well, uh, let me just point out a couple of things that jump out at me so far. You do have this language of sign, which the sacrament certainly is a sign, but it also does bring in this language of sacrament. So um, I think uh, probably I think that would maybe exclude, not not completely, but maybe exclude maybe it's like some Baptist or uh, evangelical um, types uh, who would probably just keep the language at uh, memorial or ordinance, uh, probably not use the word sacrament. Also, this uh, emphasis on receiving it with faith um, may be, be cluing me into maybe some sort of a uh, reform tradition which, which emphasizes they receive it um, by faith. But go, go on, continue. Nice work with your discerning there. Okay, not that it was right, but I thought it was nice. <laughs> Second quotation, continuing on the theme, transubstantiation. Or the change of the substance of bread and wine in the supper of the Lord cannot be proved by holy writ, but is repugnant to the plain words of Scripture, overthroweth the nature of a sacrament, and hath given occasion to many superstitions. What? <laughs> was that was that affirming transubstantiation or disproving? Nope, it was rejecting okay, transubstantiation. Okay. All right, so it's not Roman Catholic. Got it. C- continue. Okay. Last. <laughs> The body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. Can you read that one again for me? Sure. The first sentence, The body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the mean, whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper, is faith. And then a, a last little point, which isn't really so important. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance, reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. There's the anti-Corpus Christi business. Okay, I think, and I might be wrong, uh, I think I'm going to stick with my Reformed uh, guess here, because... Um, they, like I said earlier, it emphasizes this uh, spiritual eating and drinking um, rather than a real, literal uh, eating and drinking. Uh, for, for example, uh, Lutherans teach that uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are really 
consuming Christ's body and blood along with the uh, the bread and wine. Um, and so the Reformed t- say, no, 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 uh, you, you receive Christ's body and blood, but it's, it's in a spiritual sense, uh, and it's received by faith. So that's my answer. Is it some sort of a Reformed church? The answer is no. Oh. That was pretty right, though. I mean, the Reformed Church would say this exact same thing. But this comes from, I mean, you're awfully close. This comes from the 39 Articles of the Church of England. Ah, there it is. So this is Anglican Church. This is the American Revision from 1801. This was originally published in uh, 1571. 39 Articles. All right. The 39 Articles. I didn't uh, consider No points for you! Zero. Okay. Well, (laughs) I, I have one for you. And I have a theme as well, although differently themed than yours. Um, both of both of my uh, statement of beliefs I'm going to read are from seminaries, and so oh, you need to either nice. identify the seminary or the uh, religion or the um, tradition of which the seminary uh, educates its men for ministry. Okay, and uh, the first one I'm going to read to you is the under the section man creation man created and fallen. It says we believe that man was originally created in the image and after the likeness of God. And that he fell through sin, and as a consequence of his sin, lost his spiritual life, becoming dead in trespasses and sins, that he, uh, that he became subject to the power of the devil. We also believe that this spiritual death, or total depravity of human nature, has been transmitted to the entire human race of man, that, uh, to the entire race of man, the man Jesus Christ alone being accepted. Um, and hence that every child of Adam is born into the world with a nature not only possesses no spark of divine life, but is essentially an un- unchangeably bad apart from divine grace. Hmm. That's a pretty clear statement of original sin, um, which is, you have emphasized in both the Reformed tradition and just kind of mean, old-fashioned fundamentalist traditions. <laughs> So I'm going to guess that this uh, particular seminary is going to have this kind of extended emphasis on on original sin and total depravity comes from one of those two. But you have some. Do you have some more uh, I, I quotations? Sure, I from sure it? do. Now we would, I think, affirm everything that was said there. Uh, I mean, we'd have maybe look at it a little bit closer, but that it's that's right. That we are totally sunk in sin. That we lost the image of God um, as any sort of. Uh, uh, access to con- communion with God when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and that that death and sin uh, has been uh, inherited by every person born uh, in the natural order of things. So we would agree with that so far. So far, okay. And then the next one I have for you is Article 11 on assurance. I'm going to read that to you right after this commercial break. By the way, you can visit our website, tabletalkradio.org. And on this, we have a, a list of articles that you can read on our website. And you actually did a little a little game uh, article on this, um, Pastor Wolfner, called Good, Bad, and, or In Between, a short survey on the doctrine of man, where you compare the uh, confessional beliefs of the doctrine of man. And uh, So you can check that out. Read it on our website, tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back, continuing the game. Uh, name that confessional document church tradition <laughs> if you name the next one i have for you i'm going to give you a million points a million so points i think you said it once before and i got it we'll be right back table talk radio
This is Chris Rosebro, host of Fighting for the Faith, and I want everyone to know that Table Talk Radio is my favorite Lutheran theological game show recorded in Evan Gagline's dorm cell. Hey, it's Evan with Table Talk Radio. We recently hit our one-year anniversary of Table Talk Radio. I want to thank you, our listeners, because we couldn't have done it without you. Table Talk Radio has expanded to three radio affiliates, two terrestrial radio stations, and one on the Internet. We've also hit our high-water mark of now six Table Talk Radio listeners. We hope to continue this outreach, and if you can help us out, we really appreciate it. Go to our website, tabletalkradio.org, and click the Donate button. We really appreciate your consideration, and thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. We are playing Name That Confession. This this game would really do well with the name. Name That yeah, Church right. Confession. Whatever. Everyone playing along with the home game, <laughs> uh, you can find the instructions to this on... <laughs> Just kidding. There's no home game. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, well, uh, you're, you're playing... The I have my first statement. I'm uh, Name That Seminary, and you've right. given me one statement on original sin, and now you're coming back with another statement yeah. for me. Yeah, Article 11 on assurance, and it says, We believe it is the privilege, not only of some, but all who are born again by the Spirit through faith in Christ, as revealed in the Scriptures, to be assured of their salvation from the very day they take him to be their be their savior and that is and and this assurance is not founded upon any fancy discovery of their own worthiness or fitness but wholly upon the testimony of god in his written word excite uh, exciting within his children uh love gratitude and obedience hmm. that's interesting um Again, our Reformed friends have a, a special burden for this uh, business of assurance, and so they're always going to be uh, um, trying to sort it out because it's one of the things that they're, I think they have an implicit idea that their theology lacks it quite a bit But uh, because you don't have the uh, external call of God being the work of the Holy Spirit. You have these two different calls. So this kind of, uh, this kind of talk uh, kind of echoes a Reformed concern again, Although it could be more of like a Baptist, fundamentalist Baptist or something like that, which also have Reformed tendencies uh, as well. So I'm going to wait for the third quotation here. All right, and the third one is rather lengthy, so I'm just going to read a portion of it. But it's Article 5 entitled, The Dispensations. We believe that the dispensations are stewardship by which God administers his purpose on the earth through uh, through man under varying responsibilities. We believe that the changes in the dispensational dealings of God with man depend on change conditions or situations in which is successful, uh, successively uh, found, with re- uh, yeah, found with relation to God, and that these changes are the result of the failures of man and the judgments of God. We believe that different administrative responsibilities of this character are manifest with the biblical record, that they span the entire history of mankind, and that each ends with with uh, each ends in the failure of man under the respective test in an ensuring judgment from God. Is that enough? Let me keep reading some more on this. No, no, that's good. That's kind of a frightful thing. But even just the fact that you have have a section on the dispensations in the statement of faith is going to give a number (laughs) of things away. Uh, This is a reflection of the theology called dispensationalism, which tries to pan itself off as simply the idea that God works differently in different ages. 
which in and of itself is kind of a bad deal. And so you have a new kind of modern uh, revised dispensationalism, which is trying to downplay that. But dispensationalism then has these three pillars to it, a distinction between Israel and the church, a constant literal hermeneutic. They would maybe agree with the census literalis unest est, uh, although uh, not in practicality, but they would certainly assert it. And then the third, <laughs> you going to give me points for that? The yeah, third thing is um, that the purpose of history is God's glory and not man's salvation. So those are the three pillars of dispensationalism, and there's really two schools, two seminaries in the United States uh, which really are kind of bulwarks of dispensational theology, and those would be Dallas Theological Seminary uh, in Dallas. <laughs> Thank and, you. And uh, Moody, uh, what's, is it Moody also? Moody Bible College up in Chicago area. Uh, but I think that this is, um, uh, I'm going to guess then because of this, that it is a, it is a kind of, uh, th- that it's a dispensational with a Reformed uh, bent, um, and therefore, I'm going to say Dallas Theological Seminary. Congratulations, you got it. I knew the dispensational Woo! thing would give it away, though. So, Okay, so you get 200 Woo-hoo! points for guessing the right church body, and I'll give you 400 points for using the theological buzzword. That's pretty oh, good. Out man. of 500, that's decent. Okay, yes. 600 points. The champion. <laughs> okay, oh, we're not finished with the game yet. <laughs> you, could, you have a chance now. I might beat you when I get one, one million, million points. points. Uh, not so, not, not such a good chance, but you've got a chance. All, All right. right, I'm going to read to you now a description of this particular church body, which is going to have in it its beliefs. The basic theology of this church body is a form of pantheism that focuses on imminent rather than transcendent deity. The most important theological statement came in the form of the revelatory writings of Zell from 1970 to 73 on the theory which later became known as the Gaia Hypothesis. This concept is an attempt to validate with scientific biological information the ancient intuition that the planet Earth is a single living organism, Mother Earth. <laughs> I've heard of this before. I don't know. Uh oh. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I can't read. Oh, okay, give me another one. Pantheists hold as divine the living spirit of nature. Thus, to this particular church, Mother Earth, the horned god, and other spirits of animistic to. A totemism, were the highest level of aware consciousness accept, uh, accessible to the individual, and so became the recognized divine pantheon. In this manner, this church became an early forerunner of the deep ecology movement, through its focus on Mother Nature as a goddess, and its recognition and ordination of women as priestesses. This particular church claims to be the first eco-feminist church. Its only creed states, This church is dedicated to the celebration of life, the maximal actualization of human potential and the realization of ultimate individual freedom and personal responsibility in harmonious eco-psychic relationship with the total biosphere of Holy Mother Earth. <laughs> right. Um, now, now um, is this is this a, a statement of beliefs by one particular church, like a particular congregation, or is this be reflective of an entire church denomination? Oh. One particular church. I mean, one particular church, very small church body. Okay. So, oh, okay. So it is an entire church body. Well, the the key to this game is the process of elimination. So I think, I think I can cross off Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I think. (laughs) What gave it away? (laughs) (laughs) 
the deep ecology movement part or the, the, the feminist worship stuff. Of the I, biosphere of Holy Mother Earth. Yeah, I didn't get oh, the, the the feminist vibe when I walked into your. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I hate to offend all the listeners from this church. Because <laughs> you know they're listening. All the all the table talk radio <laughs> listeners that belong to this particular church. Uh, worship in the church involves weekly or monthly meetings held usually in the homes of nest members on a rotation basis. The basic liturgical form is a circle in which the members take turns sharing their creativity. What in the world? A chalice of water is always shared around the circle, either at the opening or closing ceremony. Other events are celebrated at the church sanctuary in Northern California. Ooh, there's a clue. <laughs> the land has a hand-built two-story temple, a garden, an orchard, a small pond. In addition to the eight seasonal festivities usually associated with witchcraft, this church holds hand fastings, that is marriage, vision quests, workshops, retreats, work parties, and staff meetings on the land. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go with a random guess of uh, a Wiccan church. Uh, it is part of the magic family of churches, but this is uh, the Church of All Worlds, uh, one of the most influential of all pagan religions during the 70s. All Worlds. Ch- church of, the Church of All Worlds. Do I get some go. points for getting the right family? Yeah, out of the one million points, I will give you ten for guessing <laughs> the right f- Wait a minute. Here's something you, you know we're listening to this stuff and and we hear and you you think you think of this stuff and you think what kind of nutty nonsense is this but there uh, I've got this new book uh thanks to the lady at the uh used bookstore who loaned me 4 cents so I could pay the $2.14 to buy this Encyclopedia of American Religions volume 3 uh that it was a survey of all the religious bodies of Canada and the United States back in 1991 and there is page after page of kooky nonsense in here i mean it is just the order of templi orentis uh the uh the ordo templi uh uh, uh grant uh the ordo adeptorium invisibilum the ordo lux cathedri i mean it's just one thousand five hundred and eighty-eight kookball religions. <laughs> it's nuts. Okay. And, but so now, what do we do as a church when we come up against this? When you're talking to someone and you're like, "Hey, uh, are you a Christian?" Uh, no, I belong to the Church of All Worlds, and so I worship the Great Goddess Gaia, Mother Earth, and the and the Horned Owl. <laughs> how how do you respond to that? What what do you say to them? Uh. That's right. That's what most people say. You do what? But how, how about this? If we can simplify this, instead of saying there's 1,588 kookball religions out there, we can, we can always reduce it down when we're talking to people to two religions, the religion of the law or the religion of the gospel. A pastor friend of mine told me this last week. He says there, there's two religions. There's the religion of do and the religion of done. There's the religion of you got to do all this stuff to save the earth or save yourself or whatever. And then there's the religion of done. That is, Christ has accomplished the complete work of salvation for us on the cross. So even though we encounter all of this kind of strange things out there, um, we, we the church always has something to say because it always has the law and it always has the gospel, especially the gospel that Christ died for our sins. All right, and that's the that should be the center, heart and center of our preaching, which is the purpose of this next game. 
to see if if your your pastor on Sunday morning is preaching the gospel that that Jesus is a propitiation for sin on a the, the message we need to hear on a, on a on a daily basis because we do continue to sin even as Christians and that is why we play this next game biggest loser and this week we have uh, Billy Graham going up against John MacArthur all right it's time for your wager before we go into this break who do you think will have who do you think will lose the most weight. I think, um, I, by the way, I'll give you 300 points for the use of propitiation there. 350, how about that? Thank you. And, uh, and I am going to guess, I am going to put all my Table Talk Radio points on the line here and say that, uh, that John MacArthur is going to lose more sermon weight than Billy Graham. All right, we'll find out if that's true right after this break. We'll be right back. It's time for Table Talk Extra with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Whenever I talk about theology, I often hear people say, well, that's just your opinion. And if that's true, if the things that I teach or the things that any Christian says are simply our opinions, then it would be better for us not to say anything at all. For there is no place for opinion in the Lord's Church. No place for our own reason or our own understanding. There is no place for our own traditions or our own thoughts. There is no no place for man's word in the church. The church is to be filled with the words of the Lord, not human opinion. The words of God, the heavenly counsels, the words of the prophets and apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what rules and reigns in the church. If we come to each other with our own opinions, then no wonder people think we're arrogant when we say we're right because it's simply my opinion, which I assume is better than yours. But that's not how we're given to talk in the church. We rather talk about the Lord's Word and what it says. That's why we have texts like this from Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. We meditate on the Lord's word day and night so that his word can be in our mouth, that his word is in our hearts and ringing in our ears because it's his word, his promises that give us life and salvation and the forgiveness of all of our sins. So let us be through with human tradition and human opinion and let us cling for our very lives to the truth of the Lord's words. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Amen. This has been a production of Table Talk Radio. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. For three years, The Biggest Loser has been changing lives. Biggest Loser saved my life. (laughs) Bringing families together. We preach Christ. And inspiring a nation. Take charge of your preaching every day is a new day you are the biggest loser over 6,500 minutes lost over 23 million sermons burned and counting it's time to make a change ready get set go did you did you hear the narrator's voice crack a few times uh, yeah, that is, he, it was like 400, 300 minutes lost. <laughs> you need to get a new voiceover guy for the show. 
<laughs> All right, we're playing Biggest what a dramatic Loser. Dramatic introduction. <laughs> and how this works is is we want to just create a little evaluation of how much sermon content is is gospel. And uh, I emphasize every time we play this that just because I'm cutting things out doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. In fact, later um, we're going to be talking about a few of these clips that I cut out, and and some of them aren't necessarily bad, um, g- good things, but they aren't gospel. And I, I say, you know, if we would have taken one of Pastor Wolf from their sermons, there'd be stuff to be cutting out, but hopefully that the gospel would predominate in the sermon. So we're looking for what percentage of the sermon is gospel. So and this is not an exact science, our sermon weight loss program. <laughs> but it, but it, it, the idea of the game is that we, when we come to listen to the Lord's word being preached, we're listening for a couple of things. First, we're listening for the law to come and condemn our sins. And then, and most especially, we're looking for the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins, the good news that Jesus died for us. And so we want to, uh, for you, our dear listener, uh, or listeners... <laughs> Uh, we want we want you to. Uh, I mean, this game is for you that you might uh, join us in listening to preaching this way with a discerning ear to listen for the gospel. And if your preacher uh, doesn't have any gospel in his sermon, uh, then there is really a problem. That's right. Well, uh, this uh, the first sermon we're going to listen to is from Billy Graham, and um, this this is the most recent broadcast of his radio program. Uh, hour of decision, but the pre- the sermon itself was first uh, given in 1984. So this is the year I was born. This sermon was was preached, <laughs> <laughs> and still relevant. Oof, you're uh, young. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, the, this first clip that we're going to listen to a few clips that I that, that didn't make it to the final cut of the, of the gospel for Billy Graham. The first one uh, it talks about uh, Vashti, who uh, appears in the book of Esther. And uh, Vashti was asked to, to by by uh, the king to c- can come and do a, a dance um, in front of, at, at uh, the party or the, the gathering, and she refused to do so. So this is Billy Graham talking about Vashti. Vashti said no. Now Vashti, you're going to lose your throne. You're going to lose your riches. You may lose your life. She said the answer is still no. What is your answer tonight? to those things that are wrong, to lying, to lust, to greed, to racial prejudice. Will you stand by the convictions of Christ and what the Bible teaches? Or are you going to give in and go on the broad road that leads to destruction? Or will you go through the narrow gate and go the narrow road that leads to eternal life? Which will it be? You have a choice tonight. Okay, now let's talk about this. At the at the onset, um, I thought this was very good preaching of the law, because he, had, you know, what's your, what are you going to do tonight? You know, and, and so that that immediately points me to the law that I, I'm failing to do, make the right choices. Um, however, I, I think he he then uh, destroys what would have been good preaching of the law by, by making, you know, the choices yours tonight and, and preaching the law in a way that a person can't obey it. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is Billy Graham's big theme. I mean, he named his magazine decision today. I mean, he, he, he is about the decision. That's the center of his theology. Uh, now on, in one sense, if you were preaching to Christians, you, you might be able to get away with it. I don't think it's advisable. Uh, to preach this way, because the law kills us, even the Christian it comes to kill our flesh and put us down to death. But especially in evangelism, when you're preaching an evangelistic crusade or something like this, there is no offer 
uh, for the unbeliever, hey, you're, you, this is your choice, you know, get with it, this sort of thing. That's this, they, the unbeliever cannot make a choice. All they can do is uh, sin in one way or another. I, I did think you were right. This was a, at, be, at the beginning a very efficient uh, or effective or whatever uh, preaching of the law. But then this business of choice where we can kind of get out of the condemnation of the law by just making a choice to do better uh, lets you off the hook. All right. He's, this guy's a good preacher, though. Boy, he, uh, his rhetoric is uh, uh, nice. Right, yeah. Well, let's listen to what else didn't make the final cut, uh, Billy Graham talking about uh, temptation. We defile ourselves by overeating, drinking too much alcohol, taking drugs, spending too much time watching the television, or going to the films. In Luke, Jesus said in the 21st chapter, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. The Apostle Paul said, Make no provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How can you stay pure and look at the newsstands? How can you stay pure and look at the films? How can you stay pure with all the temptations thrown at you? You can't. No way. Except one. If Christ is in your heart, he will give you the strength and the power. Because no temptation will come to you that's so strong. But what he will provide a way to escape. Okay, we need to talk about this too. Kind of the same thing Ooh. as the uh, as what we said before. Um, again, uh, at the beginning, a harsh preaching of the law, which I think again is very effective. If you want to use that, I mean, uh, this this does cut to the heart, does it not? I mean, uh, th- that it's true. You can't you can't go around life today and look at the newsstands or whatever and and keep yourself pure. You just can't. Uh, well, what do you make of the last part? Well, I was uh, cheering this. How can you make yourself pure? And I said, "Oh no, he's going to give us some. He's going to tell us how we ought to be pure." And then he, and, and then uh, uh, Dr. Graham comes out and says, "You can't do it. You can't do it yourself." And I, oh man, that's fantastic! What a nice thing to say. But then he, he pulls it back and says, "Except for one way, uh, <laughs> Jesus in your heart." And then, and I thought, hey, I said, this might not be so bad. I mean, aside from the. A slightly inadvisable language of Jesus in the heart. I mean, we do have that language in the scriptures, so we can use it. But it's a little bit inadvisable. But this could go a good way, that Christ now uh, is the one who declares us to be pure, who forgives us so that we're pure, who, because he loves us and uh, dwells with us, calls us to be his own pure children. But no, it's Jesus in your heart gives you the power to stay pure. Right. You know, I I think uh, this. Remember a few shows ago, you gave me the theological buzzword anthropology. I wish you would have given that because I think I think it really depends on on Billy Graham's anthropology here to use the theological sense of the word. Um, And that is how what capacity does man have? Um, You know, one of the probably best works of of Luther by his own admission was uh, the bondage of the will. And and if 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 man is, is bound. Um, if his will is captivated, it's preaching isn't about convincing man to do one thing or another. Rather, you're going to preach forth God's word, and uh, and and God's word will have will will do with the person, the the man, uh, what it does, and that that is uh, through the law it calls it to repentance. Through the gospel gives life. Um, we're running out of time. We need to listen to an, another clip here. Now, uh, this this next clip comes from the ver- to the very end of the sermon after. 
what remains from the gospel, and uh, you'll hear why it was cut out of the final cut. And here it is. First, he quoted scripture. Second, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, he was in the will of God. Are you willing to say no to the temptations of the tempter? Are you? Think about it. And are you willing to say yes to the claims of Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that you want him to come into your heart and forgive your sins? God is willing to say, I forgive you, because he loves you. And God is interested in you as though you were the only person in the whole world. And you can receive him tonight. All right, Pastor, give us a 20-second analysis of that one. Uh, we don't want to hear uh, what God is willing to do. We want to hear what he has done. I mean, that God is willing to forgive us, um, that's not yet good news. If I have to now do something to become worthy or uh, somehow access that forgiveness. Well, the good news is that in the death of Jesus, God has forgiven my sins. Uh, he, he's totally put them behind him. And so if it depends on something of me, then it's not yet the gospel. It, it has to be the free work of God alone. Right. Okay, so let's hear what is left in Billy Graham's sermon, which weighed in at 12 minutes and 2 seconds. And what was left after the Table Talk Radio Biggest Loser uh, Reduction Weight Loss Program. And Jesus did not dispute his ability to do it. The devil can give you anything. But he knew that laying, lying before him was the cross, and the only way of salvation for the world was the cross. And if he had obeyed the devil... You and I would have never had a chance of being saved and having our sins forgiven. And so here we have uh, the cross proclaimed that if Jesus had it, would have given in to the, to the temptations, well, then no salvation for us. Yes, the only there you see a different a distinction, a distance in uh, in Billy Graham's preachings and others like him between the work of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, so that. So that Jesus on the cross provides a way for forgiveness, provides access for forgiveness, provides permission for God to forgive you. But then uh, now it all depends on you doing something to access that forgiveness. And that's really the uh, the, the dangerous part. I want to tell you a story, but I, I think I probably have to wait till after the break. But that's about the lady right. that I was talking to in McDonald's about making a decision for Jesus. I'll okay. tell you that. Let's, let's hear that right after this break. So after the <laughs> Table Talk Radio Weight Loss Reduction Program, <laughs> Billy Graham's sermon waited at 12 minutes and, and 2 seconds, remained with 21 seconds of gospel, concluding with a 97.1% reduction. We'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio and John MacArthur's preaching right after this. Ooh. Oh, and Pastor's story. Don't, don't go away for that. <laughs> oh yeah don't forget about that story everyone wants to hear my story <laughs> if you're not easily embarrassed tell your friends about table talk radio For the story with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. <laughs> okay, give well, us this that is, story. Yeah, I was in McDonald's the other day. I was buying a uh, renting a movie. At it the wasn't Red the Box. other day. I've heard this like a year ago. 
the other, the, a year ago was the other day. Have oh, I told okay. this story already? Yeah, but go Here ahead. comes this lady, and she asks me, she says, what, uh, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor and, uh, of a Lutheran church. And she says, oh, I'm Baptist. Um, she says to me, uh, well, what's the difference between Lutherans and Baptists? And I said, uh, uh, well, does your church have a time of decision at the end, an altar call, this sort of thing? And she says, she says yeah. And I said, you probably hear uh, in that time they say now it's it's you it's your time to make a decision for jesus it's your time to accept him as your lord and savior it's your time to to give your life to him and she says yeah that's exactly what they say i said well we the i would say it quite differently i i think the most important questions to ask would be something like this not what we've done but what god has done so rather than asking have you made a decision for jesus what if we asked has jesus made a decision for me instead of asking if i've accepted uh if I've accepted the Lord, maybe we should ask, has the Lord accepted me? Instead of asking, have I given my whole life to Jesus? Uh, we would ask the question, has God given his whole life for me to have me as his child? And the answer to these questions is an is an absolute and unwavering yes. And the lady I was talking to there in the red box line was, was crying uh, there in the McDonald's. And she said, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. Because now rather than the focus and the, the emphasis of everything being on her and what she's done, now it's on the, on the perfect and marvelous work, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when we put our focus there, we can have this absolute assurance that God loves us and has us as, our, has us as his children. Amen. I th- I really think you told that before. I think she's a Methodist last time. No, she couldn't have been. Methodists don't have uh, uh, altar calls, do they? Yeah, I went to a Methodist college. They did it all the oh, time. Yeah. Okay. No, she don't was worry. Baptist. I'm I, sure of it. I have all the Table Talk Radio archives. I'll play it for you later. <laughs> okay, let's let's listen to John MacArthur. This sermon was entitled Five Reasons to Preach the Word," and he's preaching this at a chapel service at his own seminary. Uh, I guess this is kind of like seminary day at uh, Table Talk Radio. But his own seminary, I think it's Master Seminary is the name of his seminary. But uh, here's, here's a part that didn't make it to the final cut of John MacArthur. The tone is given also in the verse. There is a negative aspect of reproving and rebuking. And that is we take the truth of the Word of God and we confront error and sin. And then there is the positive side. We take the truth of God and we exhort with great patience and we instruct. Negatively, we confront error and sin. Positively, we teach sound doctrine and godly living. We exhort people to be obedient to the Word, and we have great patience in allowing them the time to develop maturity in their obedience. Now, this clip actually breaks my heart to hear, because this tells me um, what the heart and center of preaching is for John MacArthur. And that is to get people to, to do, to, to live obedient lives. And that is not what preaching, what Christianity is all about at all. Uh, preaching is, is to bestow faith. Uh, so, because we're not, okay, so what if these people listening to John MacArthur actually start obeying, uh, being obedient and becoming better, better people, obeying all the rules? That doesn't help them at all. Uh, but rather, if, if they have faith, for by faith we are saved. And not by our works. Yes. I mean, that's really the problem, isn't it? I mean, John MacArthur is known for this lordship theology that he's rejecting the easy believism and that obedience now to, to Jesus as our Lord is the center of the Christian life. 
So just as Jesus was obedient to the Father, so now um, we're obedient to the Father, and we uh, and we go this way. So I mean, you've you've hit the you've hit the nail on the head here, and it is troublesome, isn't it? Yeah. Here's here's another one that didn't make it to the final. When you understand that the Word is the power that converts the soul, you preach the Word. If you don't preach the Word, you don't believe that, no matter what you say. It is not only the source of salvation, it is the source of sanctification. Look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God and everyone who follows his pattern may be perfect or complete, equipped for every good work. It is the power of the Word that saves. It is the power of the Word that sanctifies. It provides doctrine. It reproves error and sin. It sets upright and then trains in the path of righteousness. That's the sequence. You lay a foundation of doctrine. It reproves error and sin. Then you correct that. That literally means in the Greek to make someone upright who has fallen down. You pick them back up, correct their error and their iniquity, and then put them in the path of righteousness. Train them to live an obedient life. The Word does that. The Word makes the man of God and everybody who follows His pattern complete. It prepares them spiritually. This is what we call the sufficiency of the Scripture. Okay, what do you make of John MacArthur's um, articulation of the sufficiency of the Holy Scripture? Well, first of all, maybe to make the point that when he's uh, emphasizing the efficacy of the Scriptures, that the Scriptures are powerful to create faith, that that's how God creates faith, is through His Word. And if, we, and if you don't preach the Word, then you don't believe that? I think that is absolutely dead on and, and something that needs to be heard today because I think all this church growth guru nonsense uh, comes basically down to an unbelief in the efficacy of the Scriptures. So people are trying to—they don't believe that the Bible, that the gospel will create faith, and so they don't have anything to do with it. They're coming up with new programs and all this other stuff. So what that first part of that little clip there was, was I think, marvelous. Um, but but then he go I mean he goes on to speak of the uh, of the word also having the efficacy to sanctify us and, and, but it, it seems to be the idea uh, almost of what Billy Graham said that Christ in us now is our power to be pure so the word in us for John MacArthur is the power to be pure and so it puts now the purity of the Christian uh, back on his own works while rightly, though, from the Scriptures, what we can rejoice is this, is that that even though as Christians we begin to love our neighbors and try to keep the law, that even though we begin that, they're complete, incomplete and, and, and wholly inconsistent, and yet the Lord forgives even our weaknesses when we try to do good works, so that our purity all along comes from the Lord's word of, of absolution, his word of forgiveness. Yeah, that's right. Well, we have another one. Uh, this is... Uh, John MacArthur, the last clip that we have before we listen to the gospel. We're preaching under the scrutiny of the omniscient, holy judge. I agree with Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 who said, it's a small thing what you think of me. And I say that with all love to you. I can't build my sense of faithfulness on whether you like my sermon. I can't build it on whether you don't like my sermon. I appreciate your commendations, I cherish them, I appreciate your criticisms, I cherish them, but in the end, I want to preach to honor the one who is the judge, right? And in the end, he's going to reveal the secret things of the heart, he's going to give the, the reward to those who are worthy of it, and only his judgment really matters. 
A reporter said to me one time, for whom do you prepare your sermons? Newspapers are written for the eighth grade level. For whom do you prepare sermons? And I said, to be truthful with you, I prepare them for God. He's the judge that I have to stand before. He's the one that really matters. I just want to get it right before him. I don't want to take the word of the living God and somehow corrupt it or somehow replace it with foolish musings of my own manufacture. Okay. I actually totally, I think I totally agree with that clip there. I mean, it is a harsh law, though, but look it. Uh, this is the second commandment. Um, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And false teaching is, a, is a, a misuse of God's name, so that the preacher who stands to preach God's word uh, stands before God, and his judgment... Uh, when he when he mounts the pulpit and takes upon himself to speak for God, so there is some fear, the fear of God that should be there uh, in anyone who who um, uh, gets about preaching. Of course, on the other hand, we realize that the very reason why the Lord has preachers on this earth is so that He could send forth the gospel to the comfort of His people. Right. So preaching is not in in the end for God; it's right. from Him, but it's for. Uh, his church and the world that they would hear of his love. Uh, so uh, yeah, that was my that one little... critique too. But uh, you know, like, but you know, within the context of what he said, you know, I, I again agree that that uh, we need to teach the, the pure doctrine, not um, not our own made up musings, which is so commonplace. So okay, we have uh, uh, one, one more clip. Now this is supposed to be the gospel. Now I think we need to uh, well, we need to talk about this. I, I think I'm being generous and put these put, putting this in the gospel section. Um, because it's not it's not Christ crucified, uh, but here let, we'll listen to what it says. Martin Luther said, "The highest worship of God is the preaching of the Word." That's true, because God is revealed through His Word. Therefore, preaching His Word is preaching His character and His will, and that defines Him in true terms and exalts Him as He is to be exalted. Our mandate, then, comes not from the culture, it comes from heaven. It is the God of heaven who has mandated us through the pages of Scripture to preach the Word, to preach every word, and to bring to starving souls the only food that feeds, and that is the truth of God. All right. What do you, is that gospel? You, that just made the cut because he quoted Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, guess, I guess it... Uh, I, See, when I hear that, and he talks about uh, fulfilling the the hungry, you know, I mean, I I I, I hear of, of sinners who who hear the the proclamation of Christ, and so, but I think I think his understanding of that might be a little bit different. What do you think? Yeah, I, they, um, look, you don't you don't expect a distinction between law and gospel in anyone but a Lutheran preacher. So that the, the, this is very difficult for these guys. John MacArthur is doing a lot of good work. He's calling out evangelicals, evangelicalism for a number of their sins. He's he's taking theology seriously, and a lot of guys out there who take theology seriously learned it from John MacArthur. And so for all of these things, we have to be thankful to God. But then uh, it's just the Word. It's not the Word of the Gospel that's coming to comfort us. It's just simply the Lord's Word that, that's coming to do it. So he doesn't, he doesn't have this distinction rightly articulated, at least in, in this sermon. But I'm like you, too. And he's, you know, look, the, the only food for hungry souls is God's, is God's Word, but the, the Word that gives us, that fills us, is the word of the forgiveness of sins, and he never spoke that word. And and there, yeah, there's a distinction between to preaching about God's word and actually preaching God's word. 
That's um, right. There, there's a scene That's there. right. So I'm afraid. I, I guess we can't give him any credit for for that, huh? Zero. Zero. I All guess right. you're right. Well, Zero. That means John MacArthur comes out with a hundred percent loss of his sermon, uh, weighing in at forty eight minutes and thirty six seconds. So you're right. Billy Graham came out on top. Only. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you said John MacArthur, right? No, I said Billy Graham was going to have the most left. Oh, okay. So I did. So I was right. Yeah, yeah you were right. Okay, so yeah, Billy Graham had 97.1%. Uh, so, okay, so what, what tipped it off? T- tell me your reasoning behind guessing Billy Graham over John MacArthur. Well, John, John, I mean, John MacArthur is really quite a bit uh, a hero. I, uh, you know, we've, I think, managed to just insult just about everyone that would be listening to us by, um, by uh, criticizing the sermons of Billy Graham and John MacArthur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, be, because a lot of people really look up to John MacArthur, and I do too in a lot of ways for what he does. But uh, And so you would think that, well, because he's a strict Calvinist, uh, because he can articulate the doctrine of justification fairly clearly, um, because he comes out against the kind of nonsensical preaching that goes on in evangelicalism, that he would have uh, more gospel in there. Uh, but it, uh, So that's why I think it was counterintuitive to, to guess Billy Graham, uh, because all of his discussion of the gospel is kind of um, couched in this decision time. Uh, but uh, but John MacArthur, while he'll come out hard with the law, um, it is a, a little bit rare that the gospel, which comes simply the promise of the forgiveness of sins, that, that the gospel comes across. So I think it was the counterintuitive, at least in my mind, but uh, you're always trying to trick me anyways, so who knows. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have. Thank you all for listening to Table Talk Ooh, Radio. Where the points are like the gospel preached on the radio. Difficult to find, but nice when you do. (laughs) You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.